0: this is do we like movies it's a podcast where two guys review individual movies sequels and occasional television shows in this show we talk about our experiences with them and we answer the question do we like this movie
1: to do we like movies i'm your host angel and i'm the sweets for the sweet host javi but my (laughs) sweets isn't candy it's actually diabetes
0: (laughs) (laughs) and all right so this is our review of the 2021 candyman reboot dude this movie we finally get to pick up after a movie that we reviewed literally the week that like either the week before or the week right after we went into lockdown for covid. So Has it
1: really been that long? Was yeah. that really the first movie we did in uh well when the quarantine started? Um I don't know if it's the
0: first movie we did. It may have been the movie we did before we were all really like you know before it's before we did the the social isolation movies.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh but yeah, I think <laughs> I do believe that this was, like, right as that was happening.
1: Eighteen months ago, we were like, yeah, dude, two weeks. We'll knock this out quick. No, and funny enough. And here we are. Funny
0: enough, like, I think with the opening of either that episode or the one after starts with, all right, the
1: world is ending. <laughs> so, update, everything's on fire. Beelzebub <laughs> is risen. Um.
0: All right, so this is cool to be able to finally pick up this series. And this is a movie that's been delayed two or three times at oh, this point.
1: we should also address how we... There, the changing in our schedule real quick, because yes. there is going to be a delay for all dozens of fans that wanted to listen to the <laughs> Ready Player One review. Don't worry, that one is still going to happen. Uh, But because the availability of this film is a lot different than it is for Ready Player One in that we both have uh, we both have HBO Max, we'll be able to rewatch Ready Player One if we really want to Oh my god, Can't, I, <laughs> I really don't want to, but we if we have to But because Candyman is a film that is only in A theatrical release at the moment, and because Angel and I already paid good hard-earned money To go watch it, <laughs> we figured after letting it marinate for a weekend And after doing the uh, mini sode with our initial reactions It felt only right to just jump right into this Right. Um, so sorry to cut you off, but like you were saying, this is a film that's been delayed a few times. Yeah. And you know,
0: we've seen trailers over the last two years almost. My goodness, this movie takes place in 2019. That was literally like two years ago. And man, does it feel like a long time ago? Um interestingly enough, this movie, as much as we were looking forward to it, and I think if you listen to our mini sode, like you'll see just how like blown away we were by it. Obviously, like we've given it some more time and we're going to have a bit more of a detailed discussion on it. Um, right away, I think it's really cool to, to kind of get into really what we think, uh, you know, we already got into what our first impressions were. So right now we'll just go ahead and get into the actual movie itself. Um, so this movie, again, takes place take the at the site of the Cabrini-Green Housing project, which is where the original Candyman took place. And right so off
1: the bat, Cabrini Green, at least in the flashback scene that where the movie starts off, is already different from the Cabrini Green that we were exposed to back in the early '90s in the first Candyman. And I know, ex- and you want to know why? I think that probably is. I mean, there's, there's, there's definitely a- I know why, but I want you yeah. to say it anyway.
0: There's a key <laughs> thing that happens in the next decade to all black communities in all American cities uh, in the next decade. And among the kind of Ronald Reagan becomes president and starts to defund a bunch of social programs, mm-hmm. you know, in the 1980s, we also have the crack epidemic that that really uh, levels a bunch of these communities and places where, you know, even though Cabrini Green looks somewhat neglected in the 1970s, these things become war zones, uh, mm-hmm or rival you know drug dealers in the decades to come
1: and not only that i mean oh, Ronald Reagan. <laughs> <laughs> i just wanted to start off by saying that but not only that like uh, like I, I mean of course yes those are very important to, like touchstone events in our in our culture that has impacted it like let's be real the war on drugs was at the end of the day, a war on black folks. That's yes. really what we were focusing on when, when Ronald Reagan started. The whole war on drugs, the crack epidemic, of course, it being pro, you know so prominent within black communities, and uh, you know uh, the, the over that's kind of where the over policing of black communities uh, started, you know, started becoming or uh, more of a thing. Uh, but the big thing uh, that I, 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 I was I, referring I, to, like, you no, know,
0: I would I would probably argue, and so does this movie argue that those things that we kind of look at as being something you know that's modern like Mm -hmm. the kind of focus on police brutality I think it's what's modern about it is that we're seeing it now but these are things that have been happening for decades and generations
1: in the past sorry yeah I misspoke that's kind of that's what I meant I was just like stream of consciousness trying to get to the to what Mm -hmm. I originally was thinking of um, what I mean was that Cabrini green to in the in the original 91 like candyman you got a lot more apartment complexes and it was more built up as opposed to the Cabrini green we see in this film where it's more row houses and it's more uh wide out, like spread out like wide widened out right um and I, I chalked that up to the fact that the original Cabrini greens was torn down I think you said in 2019 2011. <laughs> or 2011 and that's part of the reason why they had to change what the setting looked like. Um, Mm, Because you know what? They didn't necessarily
0: have to do anything here. You know what I mean? I I mean, yes, Cabrini Green is such a big part of the original Candyman movie, but Mm -hmm. I do think that one of the things that I appreciate about this movie a lot is, you know, I've seen the complaint that it doesn't deal enough with gentrification Mm -hmm. and i would probably argue that really well
1: well, like people
0: think that it that it only does like surface level commentary on these things Mm -hmm. and let's say something like the topic of gentrification what i appreciate about this movie is that it's not even so much about what's said verbally there's a lot of like it shows you a lot of what gentrification has done just in the way that you're looking at it like the way the movie looks mm-hmm. and it's interesting how you'll see parts of it where it's like the cabrini green row houses which is all that's left of that community surrounded by a bunch of the high-rise buildings um that have now been put up there that have replaced the project high-rises that were mm-hmm. there uh in previous decades and funny enough our main character um anthony our main, mccoy yeah like he he and his girlfriend, uh, Brianna, Brianna I what Cartwright, last... thank mm-hmm. you. Uh, he and Brianna Cartwright live in the Cabrini Green neighborhood now in these like very new, like lavish, kind of like those luxury apartments that that are like littered all over every American city now. And mm-hmm. I, you know, it, it's if you've ever seen the argument about how gentrification is almost like a new form of colonization, meaning like taking the way neighborhoods that were, you know, that were previously a people of color and then reclaiming them for white people. Because now all of a sudden we start to care about what these areas in this city can be, mm-hmm. you know, like it, it's, it's, it is that kind of like, it, it, it's visually it's showing you, hey, this thing existed and now it doesn't. Now Mm -hmm. we have these brand new buildings here. And it also kind of shows you that, you know, let's say a generation past the people who were living in Cabrini Green. Now you have a younger generation of, you know, this black artist and his girlfriend who have now moved into the new building. And it's almost like this thing where it's like I've read articles a lot about like being a non-white gentrifier, you know, like kind of like being forced to you know this is the world we live in so in many mm-hmm. ways we're forced to occupy spaces that you know it's like well, why would you have to be there why are you there and it's like well it's like you know it is it, it's it's where my job or you know it, it, it's just all sorts of things right it, it is we're almost forced to to become gentrifiers in our own neighborhood if we're planning to live close to where we work and all that other kind of stuff as people around us have been pushed away mm-hmm. um So it's funny that the like way that they'll show the kind of separation of these, you know,
1: generational
0: ties to the story is besides the fact that, you know, they're not, our characters don't seem too familiar with the old Mm -hmm. Cabrini Green housing projects. When Brianna's brother and his partner who are joining our main characters for dinner... Uh, Mm -hmm. One evening, they they start to tell the urban legend, they end up telling the story of Helen Lyle. Mm -hmm. And the funny thing is, you know, they're not telling the story of Candyman, which is like what the original Candyman movie started with. And it, like, it becomes, like, Helen has now become, like, the villain in the story, right? Mm. It's like, she's the one who showed up at the housing project, stole the baby, according to the story that's being told, and tried to burn it in the bonfire uh, outside the building. (laughs) And the baby was saved by, like, you know, the members of the housing project who basically, like, attacked Helen and, Mm -hmm. uh, and took the baby back into safety. So it's, like, you know, obviously we've seen, we've seen the original Candyman, which I recommend that everyone does, because this movie, it, from the moment that they tell the story of Helen Lyle, they're instantly telling you that this is a sequel to the original movie and that it's not a like remake.
1: Um, and it completely ignores Candyman 2 and 3, which a lot of people hated. <laughs> hated apparently those two sequels, and we're really happy to see that this is a direct sequel to the first one. Well, if you watch the Candyman sequels, they're very
0: cheap. They're very cheap. And the third one is a direct to video movie. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it, 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 it kind of, sh- even though Tony Todd is great in those movies, it makes it shittier and shittier if you have, like, you know, if you're going to put Candyman in these like ridiculous situations. And I think the thing that the other sequels do that this movie is not wanting to give credence to is the sequels are Candyman chasing white women. Mm -hmm. You know, and that is like one of the important things to note about this movie is that this movie, by starting with Helen Lyle and like making us believe that she's the real villain, but then having the characters discover that the story is about Candyman himself, Mm
1: -hmm. it is
0: it is like a reclamation of the legend uh, from white creators or white storytellers. And, um, you know, it's it's just it, it fits in with the theme of this movie.
1: Like we were mentioning about um, Anthony McCoy. So he's a, he's like this, uh, he's an artist living in Chicago, living in New Cabrini Green. And he's someone that's stuck in a rut. So right off the bat, you can tell that he is someone that had that is passionate about his work. He's just someone that's lost his passion and he's trying to find that spark, that creativity, something to um, get him working again and get him to find that passion all over again. Uh, Brianna is an art gallery director, so I don't know if it's a great idea for an artist and an art director to be dating, (laughs) especially if they are kind of working together on the same projects. You can call it nepotism, you can call it all kinds of things, but uh, because of this fact, Anthony even feels more pressure, seeing as how Brianna is kind of using her connections to try to get him set up on uh, certain to try to get his art shown at different places or different galleries and trying to put on his own shows. Um, right off the bat, we do see there is some, uh, what's the word? I guess there's some friction between a lot of like the people in Brianna's life and Anthony because there's belief that because he's an artist, he's this guy that doesn't have a dependable job, doesn't have the, a dependable skill set to make uh, constant money or get a constant paycheck coming in uh he's kind of looked down upon within Brianna's circles you know we get him we get certain jokes from Troy like where he says ain't no dick that good in the world for you to keep him around and like you know bankroll him and even one of um I forgot what the guy's name is one of Brianna's like workers that or not I'm sorry not workers but people that she's connected to that has um that has the actual gallery where uh, Anthony gets the Candyman uh, exhibit at. Uh, And I know he's someone that doesn't believe in Anthony anymore. And he's, he's someone that wants to, I don't want to say exploit Anthony necessarily, but he is someone that's trying to, you know, he's kind of depending on Anthony to do well so that he can actually reap some of the rewards of Anthony's, Hard work, so you do see a little bit of uh, these dynamics of a lot of people just kind of like, nah, you're, I, I, nah, I'm wrong, exploiting. Like, <laughs> I think it, I think one of the themes in this film is a lot about exploitation, and we kind of see it whether it's workers exploiting people, um, oh, I'm sorry, um, kind of like the art directors exploiting Anthony, Anthony exploiting the legend of Candyman and the history of Cabrini Green for his own work and for his own purpose. So there's very much a lot of things about. Taking other people's stories and trying to like, I guess yeah, just trying to take advantage of them or trying to t- trying to exploit it for your own gain. And you how catch, many times that can be? You come didn't back.
0: catch the name of the uh, of the art gallery uh, guy, the kind no. of like her boss. His no, name. I... Is, his first name is Clive. Really? Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Fuck you, Clive Barker. Now, just kidding. <laughs> really? Is, yeah. I do not notice it's, that.
0: It's, it's interesting, right? Because it's like. Even though uh, Bernard Rose is actually the director of Candyman, and he's the guy who like changes the setting of the movie from England to uh, to Chicago and makes it he makes the movie surrounding a black man and all that kind of stuff. So, but mm-hmm. you know, again, this movie does make two allusions to uh, the fact that this was a Clive Barker uh, story before anything. Uh, The first is the name of the art gallery owner. And then the second is uh, there is a actual graffiti of what Candyman looks like. And he looks a lot more monstrous in it. Mm -hmm. And that is from uh, that is like artwork that is inspired by uh, the forbidden by Clive Barker, which Mm -hmm. is the story that Candyman is based on. Um, the other thing that this movie does and, and I, I don't want to turn it into us just going through the plot and all that kind of stuff. Cause I, I would hope that people who are listening to this have watched the movie. And uh, if they haven't, please watch it. <laughs> um, but the other thing too, is that this, what this movie does, it's really awesome. And I think the director Nia it deserves a ton of credit for it is the fact that it's like, it shows you the horror and kind of distinct coldness and creepiness of modern building architecture.
1: (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah. It's really interesting because it's one of those things where like architecture kind of post world war II, right. Architecture was very uniform. Everything was very cookie cuttered, looked alike. And then around like the eighties and nineties, there was like this whole change about making architecture look very eclectic and different and like standing out and whatnot and then recently it's like architecture has switched back to looking so like one everything looks the same and two there is like a weird distinct coldness like a disconnection Mm -hmm. that really makes you feel very like just eerie and like you don't belong there no matter what no matter how much you try to make a place feel like home and I don't know if it's, like, the big open spaces. I don't know if it's the big windows, especially, like, when we're in a lot of these characters' apartment buildings. But there's something that just feels very, eh, you know, like, there's I a shouldn't scene, be here.
0: There's a scene that perfectly captures it. And, you know, this isn't exclusive to Chicago. I know that the movie takes place in Chicago, which is why you feel it. But let's say, for example, you know, I, I work three three days a week. I go into my office now, and my office is in the middle of downtown Oakland. And what's really interesting about downtown Oakland is that, and even San Francisco to an extent, is that it's just a hodgepodge of like old buildings, like really old buildings from like the 40s and 50s that like on different floors house like these like fancy new tech companies. So on the outside, it looks very retro, old, dirty unkempt or just like just an old building that needs some sort of treatment or maintenance on the outside and then you go inside and it's like you know it looks like the inside of a we work building you know what i mean and at the same time those buildings are right next to these new giant towers that again it's just like it's you know that nobody can afford to live in any of these luxury apartments so you know a bunch of it is just empty spaces in a building with just a few of those like really rich like tech guys that are working that are living uh and working out of them and Mm -hmm. it's like it feels especially in those high-rise buildings where it feels like you're so far away from you know the people below you and all that kind of stuff that there's this there's this creepiness to the lower street level of everything. And I think the building that captured that the most was the art gallery. The art gallery is like the bottom floor in like what could have been a repurposed building that could have been an old factory or, you know, like that, that's what it is a lot of these things here in Oakland, right? It's like a lot of these like old like shipyard buildings and, and factories that were later like reconstituted and repurposed into like art galleries and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um or like breweries and like it's just like it's this weird like you know just like modernizing of old buildings and everything and it's like that's that that's what it's just like that gallery makes me so uncomfortable because it does feel like they force something new and modern into somewhere that it doesn't fit Mm-hmm. And um, that's the thing that that works. It's like this in, when you walk through the row houses in Cabrini Green, and just when you see like the shot, there's at least one shot where it's the Cabrini Green row houses with the brand new buildings in the background. And it just it you get this distinct feeling that you're like in a ghost like 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 you know, like in a haunted house, like you're you're walking through a space where like anything can pop out at you at any moment. Uh, any kind of like ghosts or phantom or something
1: you're in a place that people want to forget you know like you're in a place that people don't want to talk about or people want to forget exists and it's like well we all have a cabrini green not just and i don't mean that just like oh in a in a poetic sense like we all have one thing we're trying to forget (laughs) i also mean physically like any city you go to has a cabrini green that people want to forget about or people that may not get as many resources or people just ignore right like here in use using the city of richmond for an example we have north richmond which is a place that people want to forget about whether it's local politicians or whether it's you know law enforcement in the city of los angeles there's a skid row downtown la which to this day Apparently still is like 1980 Skid Row to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. You know, there's places out in like, and there's places out in Oakland and out in San Francisco where people, especially downtown, where it's, it's like the, forget. It's,
0: the, it's the fear of urban decay, right? Yeah. Like you know what I mean? It's like the creepiness of the fact that it's like you're going into something that should have been made well maintained years ago, but because mm-hmm. you're the ones that are in it, it's been completely forgot about. And funny enough, like I when I was going uh, to my high school, like our, my our high school was a charter school. Mm-hmm. And one of the spaces that it occupied was a building that it shared with another continuation high school. Mm-hmm. And it's an old building from like the 1940s, right? And what that continuation high school basically did is it took a bunch of kids who are, you know, who were considered, quote unquote, struggling students from from other schools in the district and kind of brought them in there to finish up their schooling program. Mm-hmm. It was, quote unquote, people talked about it being the bad kids and all that weird stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. And we shared half the building. Uh, you know with them so it's like one side of the building was our school and then the other side of the building was their school but this was the old building and it's just like it was like brown floors and like these really worn out walls and everything and it's like it just felt like you were going into somewhere that's condemned Mm -hmm. and it's just frightening it's creepy right like it's just this creepiness going into these old places and like you said they are places that are that are I think municipalities are trying to forget Mm -hmm. and developers are trying to basically build stuff over it. And it really is in many ways, kind of like the, the more literal sense of doing what they did in Poltergeist. If you ever watch Poltergeist, like where they, you know, talk about how they pushed aside, like the, in the original one it's just a cemetery but in the sequel they talk about it being an indian burial ground and it's like mm-hmm. they take everything out but they, they they only moved the headstones they left all the bodies under the building under like mm-hmm. the new suburban housing buildings and this is like the modern version of that it's like in the 1980s everybody wanted suburban homes and it's like it's where and,
1: and you didn't care who was originally there who you had to move out or price out or who had to get out of there for you to have that suburban home
0: (laughs) right and and then that that was like it was in it was in pop culture it was like yeah yeah come become a yuppie come move into the suburbs and Mm -hmm. and live this suburban lifestyle and it's like now it's like it's the cities again where everybody wants to go back into cities again and that's why cities are doing all this like insane luxury housing and stuff like that but to get there it's like you are finding ways to kick out like old tenants and old residents and buildings that you now want to destroy so that you can like build something new. And it happened, it's happening in San Francisco every day. It's happening in Oakland every day. And you, you bet it. it's visually in this movie. It, it has happened in Chicago already.
1: That's why I love the symbolism of having Cabrini green being the place that the city of Chicago wants to forget and that these communities want to forget and have that be the representation of the story of the candy man, because it's the Candyman that these communities want to forget. And even to the point, like later in the film where a character from the first film comes back and she even says, we had an, we had an agreement to never talk about the candy man again and to not talk about Cabrini green, because it's like to, to talk about, it gives it power over you again. And it's like, especially if you're trying to put it behind you and just ignore it you know <laughs> um, um another
0: theme in this movie and you know I, there have been other podcasts that are that have done uh, reviews of this movie and even other podcasts that are, that are by black creators so it's we're not and i think we mention this every single time we do kind of these more black centric movies right Again, we're not going to be able to do the conversation justice. Our experience is a similar but not identical experience. So we cannot pretend and sit here and act like we know what the symbolism of everything is. We're only going to give you the perspective that we have because it's the perspective that we know. And it's just I would just recommend, you know, to 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 listen to or read the reviews of black creators to get a better understanding of. You know why it is why it was received negatively by some and positively by others, you know. Like it that's just, it, the thing about like these, and 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 that kind of brings me to this is that the thing about reviewing a movie like this is that it feels like it's more subjective now. Like it's not like a thing where it's like, all right, well, it's it's any old movie by any old white director. It's like you either like it or you don't, but something like this, because it is taking something. Uh, and and putting and putting the story back, like y- y- giving the black characters their, um, they're just giving them like the control of the story again, like that this movie does. From you know the generation past which it was told by a white director, and the movie, the star of the movie was a white w- woman. It's like now it, it, it's because it's done by black creators. And because it's telling the story to a black audience, it's now something that like a white critic will look at it and, 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 and see it in a completely different way than a black critic will. Another piece of this movie is uh, the fact that you're now talking about black trauma. And another theme in this movie is, uh, you know, like when, when Anthony is talking to Clive about his new, you know a concept that he wants to do in the gallery or in the exhibit that he's putting together um you know one of them is like he shows him like a a painting that is like you know a black man with a noose around his neck tattoo of the Mm -hmm. n-word across his like chest and all that kind of stuff and it's funny when like he's the one who's who's kind of painting these like trauma-filled images and the art gallery owner is like Telling him about oh this is you from two years ago this isn't you from now we need something else and then I was like
1: fuck you, (laughs) (laughs) it was so frustrating for because it was like it was Anthony trying to sell the black experience to a white man Mm -hmm. and the white guy being like eh this is so two years ago I was like fuck you dude right
0: and that's the thing too it's like it one of the pitfalls here is the fact that you're trying to take something that is that is easily understood by a black audience and because you're trying to force it to be viewable by a white audience or for it to be comfortable for a white audience you're going to get these kind of blowback like you know reactions to it and the funny thing too is that because anthony does decide that he wants to do this art project you know or, or or put together this portrait uh or exhibit to gentrification in cabrini green
1: mm-hmm.
0: in some ways he kind of becomes the helen of this story
1: you they, know? this is what i was referring to about the exploitation because you know yeah. as far as we know up until now anthony didn't grow up in cabrini green and he has no connection to the city or the development itself or I mean sorry not the city because he is I mean we're left to assume he is from Chicago but we as far as we know he's not from that neighborhood he didn't grow up there he had nothing to do with that area so it's like and and, you know there's the um like and I think they even mention it at one point when he's down in uh when he is at the at, at his art show and he talks to the art critic and she met she gives a really like just like stabbing review. (laughs) Like it was just really, it was really gnarly the way she was talking about his work, but she mentions how artists are the first like gentrifiers, right? Because they're given this, um, they're given this pretty much free pass to enter a space. That's not their own, but to make it trendy and to make it like to romanticize it and to make it, um, To make it, like you mentioned, palatable to people that are not of that community originally. And she says that even someone like Anthony, and we're left to assume that she means someone that's, you know, Black, is able to do that as well to his own community because he's not someone that grew up there. It's not, or he's not someone that's connected to the past of that community. And you can make the argument that when he does make this show or when he starts making the exhibit, he does come in with an exploitative mind because he's talking about the history of a place he didn't grow up in. Like, yes, he does his research and he does his best to 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 capture the energy of the city, or I'm sorry, the the city, the housing development. But at the end of the day, like you know, he's telling he's talking about stories that weren't his. Um, for example, he the, the specifically, and I, it, the, this does get me to a point I really wanted to talk to, and is that this film deposits that. There isn't only one candyman. And it's like all of us knew that Tony Todd was going to have a cameo in this film. And we were all super excited, right? We all wanted to see him and wanted to hear that smooth, sexy voice one more time. Um, but for the most part, the film focuses on the experience of, oh my God, what was his name? Why can't I find it?
0: <laughs> uh, Sherman Fields. Thank you,
1: Sherman, Sherman Fields. Fields.
0: Which is like, he's a guy from Cabrini Green who had a hook for his hand for a hand in the 1970s and he's found by uh, by a young kid uh, named William Burke, who in this yeah. movie is, is played by Coleman Domingo and he's like a full grown adult and he's basically the guy who tells Uh, Anthony the story of the Candyman and the story that he tells is a completely different it's kind of like going back to the nature of the fact that Candyman has more power as an urban legend than he does as a human being right Mm -hmm. you know we start off with the Helen Lyle story uh, in the beginning that's being told by Brianna's brother and Mm -hmm. then now we have you know uh, William Burke telling his Candyman story of the Mm -hmm. man he knew uh, from the 1970s
1: because helen lyle's Candyman was tony todd or uh daniel crap daniel robitaille even, there we go daniel robitaille being the original candy man that we own watched back in 1991 but now it's depositing that there's a new candy not necessarily a new candy man but it's just that the story keeps repeating itself and that's when the focus of the candy man as a story isn't necessarily on the person itself but the suffering they went through and even though the story changes every time, the focus is on the Black suffering that's been taking place for generations, all the way from Robotai all the way to, well, our main character here, Anthony McCoy and it's like the focus is on that and kind of what you alluded to earlier talking about generational trauma how that's something that gets passed down like and how that's something that's experienced and that's something that we all suffer through but specifically how it affects the black community here right
0: in in this movie it tells specifically how it happened in the black community if you want to kind of look at it in a way that we can probably understand it more Look, our parents come from Central American countries that were ravaged by wars in the 1980s, right? Ronald Reagan! (laughs) So the general, the the generational trauma that we get from them are from the stories that we are told growing up. Like, you know, if anyone tells you, like one of the fond, like not fondest, but just one of the most, I will never forget memories that I've ever had in my life was uh, when I was in high school. I don't know if I was 16 or 17. But at one point we had gone camping for 4th of July and the place that we went to, like that time we had like an RV camper, right? Mm
1: -hmm. And
0: on 4th of July, while the fireworks were like going up in the air, it was literally just my dad, my sister and I uh, sitting on the top of this camper and my dad told the entire story. I don't know. He just felt compelled to do it on this evening. He told the entire story of what happened and, and, and what basically made him leave and come and come here. And it's a story that's got, you know, it's got funny stories in it. And at the same time, it's got like fully tragic, like elements in it. And and a lot of traumatic events that our parents, just our parents have experienced. That they just never talk about, at least because in our culture, it's like the way people deal with generational trauma is they just don't talk about it with anybody. So, um, you know. <clears throat> uh, not to get not to get preachy here, but you know, if you are dealing with any kind of trauma or uh, of events that you've experienced growing up, you know, you have to talk to somebody about it. But anyway, um, it's just like that. That's that's what our that that's what it's that's how it's palatable for us. But in this movie, it's like the the, the best way to, to to kind of see what the difference in focus is between the original and the reboot. And I think I sent you both clips as well. Is if you wanted to do a fun exercise, really, just look at that original movie and the story that you know Professor Benjamin Franklin gives to Virginia Madsen's character in that movie, <laughs> where he like you know goes, oh, it's like the fancy like restaurant, you know, I'm a scholar, you know, kind of him telling the story of of the Candyman, and a lot of it is like, oh, well, in that time we had the rich you know uh, the rich people who who lived in the north and you know it's this like rich white man who like created something that helped mass produce shoes and it's like the story is about the white characters like there is like a focus on white characters in this story where it's like telling um where it's like telling okay well yeah anyway one day he hired a black painter a black artist to put together a portrait of his family uh, Portrait of, I don't know if it was the whole family, but at some point it was a portrait of his daughter. And um, you know, that's where Candyman falls in love with her, and and then he is tortured by the the entire white community. Um, you know, a, a, and they cut his arm off and they put a hook on his hand and stuff like that. And and in Candyman 2, Farewell to the Flesh, they actually do a protracted flashback where you see this thing take place. Um But in this movie, they do the shadow puppet uh, method of telling the story. And I think what's really, what's good about that is that it gives it, right, like it's almost folkloric or even making it more of a legend to tell it that way and not have to, A, you don't have to reuse like footage from the original movie.
1: It would would, look goofy, let's be real. (laughs) Yeah,
0: it would just look awkward. It just doesn't look good mostly because it's like grainier movie stuff with like this brand new HD, like you know what you're looking at and the other one too is that it also allows you to do it from a different perspective mm-hmm. and when William is telling the story of Daniel Robotile in 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 the laundromat to to Daniel it's a lot more like you hear him want to cry as he's talking about it because instead of just talking about Daniel Robotile and like it's like it's almost like making it that Candyman was from that long ago It's almost like how Americans talk about slavery. Right. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, any kind of like racial systemic injustice. It's kind of like, oh, well, those are things that happened long ago. The civil rights movement was, you know, 70, 80 years ago. We had a black president. Obviously, racism (laughs) is dead right and it's just like it's almost like this way that like they shield like you know people will shield themselves from the harsh truth of what this country has done to black people and this movie what it does is you're now because you're watching it and listening to it from the perspective of a black man you know you can hear the pain in his voice as he's telling the story and the way he described it was look you know it's like it's they love our they love what we make but they don't love us and the idea was that he, mm-hmm. he he painted these portraits
1: for white reminded people me of the palm oh no i was gonna say it reminded me of the paul mooney quote which i am not gonna say but uh, okay. i think the one from uh yes from the Chappelle show which you know <laughs> yes. if you've heard it you've heard it you know exactly what it means right exactly and but yeah um, it's definitely one of those situations it's one of those things where everyone loves the culture without loving the people
0: and it's like and that's and Sorry, that's what you get. <laughs>
1: No, and that's what you get,
0: right? When you're now taking the legend and you're giving it to the people who, who you know, are using it. Like he even talks about it. He goes, Candyman, he's like, it's not one person. And he named several different Candyman. One of them was from the Chicago housing riots of the 40s and 50s. Um, then you, you know you're mentioning a guy that gets mm-hmm. uh, lynched from the 1920s and you can't hear these stories without thinking of the fact that we're talking about Chicago the story of Emmett Till right who is a boy from Chicago who in the early yeah, 19- tens, exactly- like he you know is, is murdered in, the, in a city in the American South and uh, his killers basically get off free and they completely beat him up uh, killed him in a very vicious and brutal way. And, you know, there's another thing, too, with the Emmett Till story, and, and I'm kind of just telling it in a very quick way, but it, it really is something that you, you... Generation Y, I think, does a does an Emmett Till uh, episode, or that podcast, they do mm-hmm. a fantastic job, um, or, or seek out, you know, a podcast or book on the subject uh, that you would like uh, to, to get a better description of it. But... You know, I remember one of the things that Emmett Till's mother decided when he was murdered was that she was going to have her son's funeral be an open casket. And they didn't dress him up. They didn't change him or in any way. It's like basically she wanted people to see what they did to her son. And mm-hmm. if you ever look at the photos of Emmett Till's dead body, it's gruesome. And it's like we see it and we see it and we see like the death of people. We're basically watching snuff films like all the time because of the things that are posted on social media. And it's just like it it's 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 one of those things where it's like we're so used to seeing it in such graphic detail that to be to have it be told, you know, as Look this is always happening. This isn't something that happened a long time ago. This has always been happening, and candyman is how we kind of deal with these issues that we've that we've had or deal with the pain that we've been dealing with uh you know as a community it's specifically for this neighborhood uh for mm-hmm.
1: decades. I wanna get to i know like it's really um you know like this is a very like emotionally charged film you can tell this is a really big uh undertaking for nia DaCosta, but because it is a horror movie i feel like we have to talk about the kills and some of the brutality behind it <laughs> um because i mean this is a brutal movie from the beginning whether we're talking about um sherman Fields' origin story which is the the story we see where You know, he he dies at the hands of these police thinking that he is this guy um putting razor blades in in Halloween candy. And we find out that he not he wasn't in that he wasn't responsible for the one death because then there was like three or four more deaths that happened as a result, but people just kind of forgot about it because nobody wanted to talk about (laughs) about that. Nobody wanted to talk about what happened to um crap. Why do I keep forgetting his name? I feel so bad sherman fields um but when we see him finally become the candy man when he we see him kind of embody that character right he it is i feel this movie is way more brutal than the first film, than the 1991 man like the some of these like some of the violence in this film um it's done with a purpose like it's never done in a way where i'm like oh that's 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 too much uh, but sometimes I'm just like, Ugh, I like gore. But even for me, I was like, lovely. <laughs> <laughs> like whether it's where he attacks the um, like when he attacks the uh, the the art, the art director guy and his like girlfriend, who I just assumed was a side piece. I don't know if what that says about me.
0: <laughs> no, I think but- she worked there as well. Uh, she she was they, like, I mean, they had a professional working relationship
1: yeah Mm. but you know like when we see that murder um or we see when after anthony goes and visits the art the art critic and he that's kind of where we start seeing the the um the what's it called um the break like we start seeing kind of the transformation for anthony begin uh because at this point in the film he's been stung by a bee and for some reason the bee sting like becomes more and more infected, and he does nothing about it. Yeah, <laughs> it's,
0: it's funny because it's like the original Candyman movie. Like Candyman is presented as this really suave, debonair, like like you know gentleman. He really is like that. Is the, it's one hundred percent Tony Todd's like wonderful voice. Like remind you of like Bela Lugosi from uh, the original Dracula movie, right? Mm-hmm. Like he is the suave like monster who could seduce women um, in the film and it's like and that like you know that works for that film and this one it's like they actually turned it into more of like a werewolf story right like it, it's mm-hmm. it's it, it, he gets bitten by the bee in this in this case which you know in a werewolf movie you get bitten by the werewolf and then that's when you're becoming the monstrous like You know, character then you know as opposed to if you're just following the template of like the wolfman or something like that instead of going to the fortune teller you're going to the laundromat to see william burke and he's going to be the guy that's telling you un un like without telling him directly what's gonna what's starting to happen to him and what he's starting to discover and it's just like it's 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 an interesting flip on the fact that now you're going from the it, it it shows how classic this is. You're going from the classic Dracula story to a much more, uh, you know, to another classic monster, which is the werewolf. Uh,
1: That's interesting. I hadn't even thought about that, that it does follow the, uh, it does follow more the werewolf than it does, uh, or the wolf man more than it follows like Dracula. And I didn't even drink. Honestly, I didn't even draw that parallel from the first Candyman. So that, that makes it even more interesting, seeing as how a lot of that film does feel like it's it's candyman trying to seduce Helen Lyle. Mm-hmm. It's <laughs> so kind of it's like, like a
0: vampire story, it it's adds like he- a
1: whole nother layer <laughs> to it. That's hella cool. I didn't think about that. <laughs> oh man, but yeah, as we go from there, like you know, we we see that the more people believe in. The Candyman and Sherman Fields, uh, specifically, like the more brutal the kills become. Like, yes. like as we see when he kills the art critic, as like the camera pans out from the window in her place, we're 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 left to assume like Anthony encourages her to say the say Candyman five times, and we're never like confirmed until Anthony has like this episode where he sees himself as the Sherman Fields mm-hmm. and ends up running out of the apartment. And as the camera pans away from the window, we suddenly see the art critic like lift up out of the, out of the, or off the floor as if someone is picking her up and she gets slammed against the window and dragged across. And you just see a streak of blood being left behind. And you're just like, geez. Right. But then finally, the one that really takes the cake is at least for me, because Again, the big thing about Candyman, one of the big things that worked in the first one is that Candyman broke a very, like, sacred rule for horror in my book, which was during the day you're safe. And Mm -hmm. I I felt they found a new way to do it because not only was it during the day that the Candyman attacked he attacked at a high school <laughs> yeah and that's when like the mean girls crew uh one of the <laughs> girls was at present at uh anthony's uh art show and where she tells her friends about Candyman, she convinces everyone to go um to go and try to do it and of course <laughs> as as they start the one girl she like the the one girl just ends up nope fuck this i'm leaving <laughs> the non-white girl she was asian She's yeah the
0: asian. <laughs> this movie also makes a real funny
1: girl of the group
0: yeah this movie also makes a funny gag out of the fact that really only the white characters are the ones that'll get duped into saying they can't outside of you know anthony only white characters can get duped into saying candy man five times in the mirror
1: <laughs> i think troy makes a joke about that quite a few times mm-hmm. <laughs> and and then it's like right after that, you get the massacre at the, um, the massacre right there in the, what's it called? Uh, in, the, in the girl's bathroom. And it's like, I don't, thank God they don't show it. Like, I don't really want to see kids get killed, but <laughs> it was, it was just insane. Just like the sheer brutality you see and a lot of the fear, the cool effects where you don't see uh, you don't actually see uh, Sherman Fields killing anybody. Only if you see it through a, through some sort of mirror, if you see it like that, um, I thought that was really cool. By using it, by changing
0: this into being more of a transform, more of an Anthony transformation movie, and also just keeping like the Candyman lore at the forefront of everything, it almost makes it feel to where even though Tony Todd is only in this movie for the last few seconds, it makes it feel like he is ever present throughout the entire film doesn't it like even though they're telling you about sherman fields like to me watching this movie i always got the feeling that tony todd was just like looming over everything well like, what i
1: thought they were gonna do at one point was to have interchange like change out the the candy mm-hmm. and have it be the different people that william burke and uh mentioned earlier in the film which i thought would have been cool but yeah. don't get me wrong. I'm so cool with the way they kind of played it out. Um, and then the last, the final boss Candyman would have been Tony <laughs> yeah. Todd. That's true. But 100% that any point, at any point in the film, I fully expected him to come out and it would have been rad.
0: Um, the other, uh, you know, getting into another bit of this film. Um, I think it's really cool how this movie really is scary to me. And not scary, as in James Wan jump scares. And again, I'm not shitting on James Wan for that. We talk about it when we do the Conjuring movies that we think are good. That, like you know, we, we always mention it's like that's fun stuff. It's like setting traps for the audience, and it will kind of juice you every minute when you when you see it. But what I like about this movie is that a there's no jump scares, and the stuff that is scary in it, it kind of it kind of harkens back more to something like Hereditary for me. Mm-hmm. where it's like the scariness in this is like the smiling sherman in the wall of the mm-hmm. laundry room or the other bit that you and I like were just absolutely like terrified by which is I, and you might people might not even remember it but for those who have seen this movie there's a scene where Brianna's having a nightmare the Candyman nightmare, and she's seeing like Sherman at the foot of her bed, or like in the room somehow. And when she does wake up, she notices that Daniel is in is in the room, right? Mm-hmm. And um, and while he's in the room, uh, he he's like looking into the mirror, washing his face, kind of zoning in and out. And the moment where he like is about to like you know listening to Brianna talk, you and I both noticed it, and it's very subtle. Mm -hmm. where like his head moves in real life but the head in the mirror is not moving or it's like slowed down or it's doing something else and it's just like a it's just before we kind of really start seeing sherman's face that it's a really interesting way to kind of tell you that it's like it's not daniel anymore
1: from that moment on anytime dan uh, no i'm sorry not, not daniel anthony anytime anthony is by a mirror i'm like what the fuck's gonna happen yeah that scene is so subtle it's so but it does such a good job of making you feel uneasy it made me pay attention to everything in the background from then on the fear in this seems to be
0: more it's less like terrified jump scare and more uncanny it's Mm -hmm. just like that that is what the fear here is and it's just yes it's like the the our discomfort from looking at mirrors and our fear that we're going to see something in the mirror that is mm. that is going to not be in the room with us is one of those things that stuck here. And it made me think of and you're going to, this is going to be so dumb. And anyone who listens to this is going to be like this fucking idiot. <laughs> There's another movie <laughs> that takes place in Chicago that tried to do this but absolutely fucking failed, uh, and that was Poltergeist three. <laughs> <laughs> Poltergeist 3, if you ever watch that movie, takes place in uh, a Chicago high rise building, but like, you know, the fancy Chicago high rise building. And in that movie, it's like, by that one, it was uh, the last movie by uh, Heather O'Rourke, the actress who played Carol Ann. Like, she had died during the filming of this movie. Uh, but one of the main things in that movie was like looking at mirrors and it was a bunch of like scares in the mirrors and stuff like that. And it's just like, even though I think that movie is awful and that movie is always going to be awful and there's something frightening about like watching like the second half of that movie because Heather Work was dead. So it's just like other characters carrying her while her the, the actress that they're telling you is her is like turned away and isn't in the mm-hmm. movie it's just like it's like yes this movie takes that concept and like applies it correctly whereas that movie could not do it at all but it's still something that's scary and interesting. <laughs> but here's a movie that completely failed in it in Poltergeist 3. And here's a movie that's a lot more modern that absolutely understands like what the fucking creepiness of mirrors is.
1: Get off my show. Don't you ever talk about <laughs> Poltergeist <laughs> 3 ever again? <laughs> oh my god. No, but I see what you're saying. There's something there's something inherently creepy about mirrors. And I'm not talking about the shitty of Kiefer Sutherland. Movie. <laughs> like when done well, it is fantastic. Um, I guess one, I'm trying to see what, uh, cause we're not trying to like go beat by beat. We also don't no, like, no, no, spoil no, too no. much, no. but also at the same time, if you're listening to this movie, you, or this movie review, you also understand we're probably going to spoil a lot of the film already, right? But I'm I'm glad they brought Anne Marie back. I thought that was a fantastic callback to the uh, to the first film, mm-hmm. bringing someone that I mean, she wasn't a she wasn't a central character in that she wasn't Helen or she wasn't I forgot uh, Bernadette um, Helen's friend or she wasn't directly connected to our main character. But without Anne Marie, you don't move that plot along. You know, like she does become a, a focal point um, of the story, even though she's not a central character. So to see her be brought back, and sure, the reveal that Anthony is her son, and that Anthony was born and secretly from Cabrini Green, <laughs> like, and that he was the baby that Helen saved from the uh, the Candyman. And to have that kind of moment that kind of kind of her of guilt. Well, not expunged her of guilt. I mean, yeah, she did cause a lot of this for herself. <laughs> but the fact that she wasn't pay- painted to be the, or she wasn't the monster she was made out to be. Um, yeah, that whole thing, that whole arc, was, you could see it telegraphed since the beginning of the film. Like I just had this feeling Anthony was going to be that baby. I think when we left the movie, I told you.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well, also because if you watch the original movie, the baby is named Anthony as well.
1: I don't. I didn't remember that honestly. Like I didn't even think about that. I was just like the moment Troy was talking about Heather. Um, I'm sorry, Helen. When they were back in, um, back in their apartment way in the beginning of the film. Mm-hmm. I remember when we were leaving the, leaving the movie theater, I even told you, I'm like, yeah, as soon as Troy started talking about it, I expected Anthony to be like, oh, yeah, I was that baby. <laughs> <You know? Yeah. laughs> I'm glad they didn't do that. And they actually had the, even if it was telegraph, I re- prefer the slow reveal because it was at the very least the way they did it, having it be the werewolf story and have Anthony slowly become the Candyman was way better because by the time he does see Anne-Marie his arm looks like completely rotted Mm -hmm. and he has like burn marks like he looks like he pretty much looks like uh what Daniel Robitaille was supposed to look like upon his death you know like Mm -hmm. and like he's just not okay and right there's like
0: moments in the movie where he's like losing fingernails and it gets really gnarly Ugh, like there's a
1: lot of body horror there's a surprising amount of body horror in this movie as, yeah as, as anthony becomes the the candy man right um,
0: um one of the things that this movie does as well that i like is just kind of like the creepy anticipation and anxiety that you get like going with anthony through hallways and i know that nia De is a director of this film but i know that one of the writers one of the three writers in this film uh, was Jordan Peele, and Jordan Peele talks about uh, talks about this very famously how The Shining is one of his like you know favorite movies of all time, and there's also this really good creepy like sketch that he does on Key and Peele once. It's like a kind of like a it, it's a play on the Scatman Crothers character from uh, from The Shining and there's something where it's like even though it's funny like it's very get out in that there's something that's inherently frightening about it on the under like the, like there's this undertone about it that's really freaking creepy about it mm-hmm. um And this one, I do kind of feel like I'm in a Kubrick movie in some points where uh, we're watching Daniel walk through these like really bizarre, like modern hallways. One to get to the art critic's house. And then it's like when he's walking towards his mother's home uh, to see her as well. Mm -hmm. There's just like just really like it's, it's like you're watching a character completely alone. Walk through it, and even though this movie takes place in the city of Chicago, like it feels so like nobody else is around, and like Daniel's like completely alone amongst this like graveyard of giant buildings.
1: <laughs> Anthony, damn it, Anthony, <laughs> you keep going co- with Daniel. <laughs>
0: All right. oh, sorry, yeah, yeah. sorry, sorry. So, sorry.
1: I want to talk about the end because this ending is. Bad shit, bananas crazy to me <laughs> i thought that the ending was it was weird to me because and never at any point did anything and it could be i just wasn't paying attention well enough to the character i just never expected william burke to be this like mad preacher character that <laughs> believed in the candyman so hard he wanted to make a new candyman, you know. Mm-hmm. I felt that was kind of an out of left field writing choice. Um, but pretty much what happens is that um Brianna goes to after Anthony disappears um from his mother's place, he enters like this the, this this kind of trance, very reminiscent of kind of like Helen's trance from the from the first Candyman film where and and pretty much he goes missing and then brianna tries to find him she ends up remembering about william burke and when she goes to the laundromat down at cabrini green Green to talk to him she ends up locking herself in his in his office or or we're left to assume she locked herself but then we suddenly see that she gets attacked by somebody and uh, knocked unconscious using like chloroform And we find out that it's actually William Burke who at this point is completely unhinged and wants, (laughs) and and his plan is to make Anthony the new candy man by having him gunned down by the police and have him become a spirit of vengeance instead of like a spirit of sorrow. So he, and we, we see as Anthony is in this like trance where um William Burke starts sawing into Anthony's hand and cuts off the rotted hand and ends up attaching a hook to his hand, mm-hmm. <laughs> essentially like completing the transformation. And then uh, Burke calls the police or he calls 911 and reports that there's a black man in his 30s killing people down at Cabrini Green and they got to send somebody down right away. Um, we also find out that Sherman had been seen. Um, I'm sorry, not Sherman. Um,
0: <laughs> We're all no, just like confusing the characters with no, the Candyman I, I characters.
1: <laughs> William Burke, um, w- yeah, William had seen Sherman kill his sister, and that kind of drove him to uh,
0: madness.
1: Madness, essentially. Um, and that's kind of what made him believe the importance of the Candyman uh, for their community. I agree
0: with you that the ending of this movie has clumsy elements in it. Like in this movie is only 90 minutes long. So it like flies by really quickly. And this ending, I, I, yeah, I'd say a criticism of it for me is that it is very sudden. Like it feels like everything is happening very sudden. And like, as you mentioned, it's just like the way that we are now going to reveal William as like this villainous character it feels like one villain too many in some ways yeah i guess he you know he reminds me of because we're Mm -hmm. talking about like these like sequels to like old movies that use the same movie title you know when we did halloween 2018 and Mm -hmm. you have michael myers like and the new like you know psychiatrist character who like the movie tries to make you think is like going to be new loomis and then you find out that he's actually a villain and that he really wants to free michael so that he can set his plan into motion and see him it's like that character it's the one character too many where like you can you can excise him being crazy from it and and it doesn't change the movie a whole lot Mm -hmm. like you know it's just um But I kind of get why he's there. To me, what he kind of feels like, it's almost like, you know, like how now when these terrible tragedies unfold and we are like having, you know, watching black men and women be gunned down in public, um, you need someone around to be witnesses Mm -hmm. and uh, so that they can keep the story going. It feels like William is that guy like he's he's the lighthouse keeper like he, yeah you know what I mean like no, that's he, a good way of describing him as like he needs keeper.
1: he he
0: absorbs all the pain of past candy men and all that kind of stuff and he's the only one that remembers this stuff and you know just from the fact that uh, that Troy is it uh, who the character of Brianna's brother Like he tells the story. And by the time that he tells it, he's just talking about Helen and everyone Mm -hmm. just talks about the story of Helen. You know I mean? Like it almost feels as if like he one of the problems that he has is that is the focus has gone completely on that white woman. And it's like his job is to try to force people to remember Candyman because he's the one that needs to be remembered and all that kind of stuff. So it's like, yes. He is clumsily inserted into this. And I'm not crazy about the fact that he has to be this character, even though I understand why this character exists.
1: Honestly, I'm cool with that character. I'm cool with the lighthouse keeper type of character because it makes sense. And I mean, I'm also, I mean, if you do it wrong though, then that person becomes the focus on your, that that person then becomes the main antagonist. And it's like, then what's the point of the Candyman other than just a tool, right? Like at that point, it just becomes a plot device. And it's like, the, well, the character isn't a plot device. And I, and I do like that this film manages to, to take that away and give Candyman his own agency back. Um, but it does feel weird. Maybe if we had a couple other scenes, maybe explaining William Burke and we get to see his descent into madness, um, maybe a little bit more clearly, I would have been okay with this. But yeah, it just feels really out of place. Mm -hmm. Um, So during this time, Brianna manages to get out of the church. And as she tries to run away and flag down cops, as she's going through the row houses, she ends up getting attacked by Burke. And she is able to kind of get the upper hand and grab his knife and stab him to death. Um, When Anthony finally shows up, um, he collapses next to her. And as they kind of embrace, uh, the police come in, you know after burke's phone call and as soon as the officer comes in he starts firing and you're not really sure if he killed, if he shot anthony or if he shot brianna but what we then see is that anthony is the one that's been killed brianna's led to one of the squad cars where she's put in the back um immediately kind of kind of getting treated like she's at fault into blame here But uh, essentially, one of the responding officers tells her that there's one of two ways this shooting happened. And one of them is that the officer came in and saved Brianna from Anthony, uh, painting him out to be a killer and responsible for all the Candyman murders that have taken place um, as of late. Or they tie her as an accomplice to the murders and she can either go down for. And as she kind of realizes what her choices are, whether she gets she takes the blame or the memory of Anthony kind of gets uh, besmirched by this, uh, she asks the officer if she can see herself in the mirror after everything she's been through. And as she as the officer begrudgingly accepts, she says Candyman five times and then begins the slaughter of the Chicago police officers and. Uh, this time, Anthony, uh, instead of it being um, Sherman Fields, it's actually Anthony McCoy that is now the, the new top of the Candyman, this new the, the new spirit of vengeance mm-hmm. of Cabrini Green. And he cuts down the police officers and finally getting the last officer, the one that had been um, that offered the deal to Brianna and he ends up murdering him with bees <laughs> and mm-hmm. we get the awesome it's totally CGI which it sucks because especially with how badass tony todd was having actual bees like on his face mm-hmm. <laughs> but we get the awesome shot of like th- we see anthony and then as the bees like circle around him and like land on his face they change turning his face into tony todd's
0: yeah CGI deaged tony todd which honestly is the least creepy CGI DH person I've seen. No, it works when it's obscured by bees.
1: Yeah, you know? it worked really well. And he ends up taking on the, the this new appearance and he tells Brianna to tell everyone about the Candyman. And that's, you know, roll credits and that's the end of our film.
0: Yeah, and I think I, I, the ending, the the actual ending, I think it's kind of pitch perfect. Yeah, um, because it pulls
1: back the craziness from the literally from the church scene, and it gives you a satisfying ending for that character of Anthony McCoy mm-hmm. while still giving you it gives you back the 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 candy man you know (laughs) like i told you like in the church scene i was kind of worried they were going to turn him into this tool that burke uses as revenge Mm -hmm. and i'm glad that they didn't do that and they and you know they they were able to to give us this scene where he ends up getting getting his own brand of revenge and also save brianna while he's at it right and the fact that
0: brianna like i i who i think thinks is going to be killed Uh, during the death of the police officer like she actually sets him up to be killed by asking if he can point the mirror at her and she can say the candy man five times and what it's doing is that now that she's finally saying it she has officially taken the urban legend from you know that's been circling around and only white characters in the film are saying it and now she's the one that takes it she takes the legend back and Unfortunately, tragically, much like a lot of the mothers or girlfriends or wives of, uh, you know, these black men that are unfortunately murdered by police officers. It's like she now has the burden of having to carry on the memory of what happened uh, to Anthony, as well as uh, pushing the Candyman mythology forward. So while the triumph in all of this is kind of that Candyman becomes more of an anti-hero in the end than an actual villain as he is in the first movie. There's the, the, the tragedy of the fact that, you know, that Brianna now unwillingly has to shoulder the, the trauma (laughs) and, uh, and push the legend forward is it, it, it is a way to, it is a perfect way to end it. And in many ways she kind of does end up a little bit like Helen in that mm-hmm. she's the one who was touched by Candyman, man and again like a werewolf story right the werewolf's bite affects everyone who comes in contact with them mm-hmm. and um yeah that's that's that is a, it's a fantastic ending to a fantastic movie we don't need to talk about whether we like it or not because this is the second episode that we've done on this exact movie clearly technically
1: both,
0: yeah <laughs> yeah clearly we both love this movie you know what I mean? like and um it, it, I hate to be such a commercial to get people to watch it, but you know it's like this movie is already doing fantastic pandemic uh, premiere numbers. And um, I do know what Ni the is doing next. in the last episode I asked if her next project would be in horror and that I hope she stays in horror, but she will be helming I think the Captain Marvel sequel for Marvel for hey, Marvel Studios. That's
1: so that's mm-hmm. cool.
0: Um, but I do hope that I it, guess no 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 I think it's awesome but I'm I, I think I say it selfishly that I hope she comes back because mm-hmm. I think that what Nita Costa has done for this horror film is it's just it's shown that she has such a good eye for horror that like I would love for her to come back and, and do it again
1: I mentioned it in a Facebook group that you and I are part of where I don't think there's very few horror movies I watch where I feel somber and scared at the same time. Mm-hmm. And this is one of those movies. Cause right at the end, especially up until the end, like when you put in all the themes, when we're talking about generational trauma, when we're talking about violence against uh, black folks, when we're talking about just like gentrification, exploitation of cultures, and finally like just remembering those victims of violence, like I mean, Candyman pretty much takes the Say My Name like campaign, right? Or the mm-hmm. not the campaign. Campaign is very poor choice of words. No, the no, movement. The no. to 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 remember victims of violence, and it's like the like to see this character become just more like, especially now in twenty twenty one, to see this character just become a like embodiment of sorrow and anger that you can't like direct anywhere like it's 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 a it, it hits you you know like it's it, grim yeah it's, it's very grim and it's sad but it's real you know mm-hmm. um so i i yeah this movie hit me in a place i didn't expect to get hit it was fantastic highly recommend check it out uh, for all horror fans um for people that love elevated horror there is so much to unpack here there is so much to 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 you know i actually want to watch it again just to see if there's anything i miss or if there's anything i can change how i view things Mm -hmm. um i don't want um, by by far it's not a perfect movie no but it is a it is a fantastic film i do like it and i do think everyone should check it out All right,
0: cool. Thanks. Uh, We'd like to thank you guys for listening to this episode and um, following us on social media. And uh, please, please, we ask that you uh, give us comments on Apple Podcasts. uh, Interact with us on social media if you'd like, and just help get the word out for the podcast so that we can continue to grow our audience. And uh, I think that we are going to finally push ahead with our Ready Player One episode for next week as opposed (laughs) to this week. Um, and I'm hoping that pretty soon, uh, you know, now that October, oh my God, October is going to be coming up soon. Right Um, around the corner, baby. It it will be nice for us to kind of put together another horror series, like a series of horror movies for us to do this year, um, around Halloween time, since that's become kind of like really the funnest time of year for me. I love, I love diving into horror movies.
1: I feel so bad because there's so many of our friends that I talk to, in a lot of listeners that, you know, that I know that are just like, I, you know, I like the podcast because you're doing good. I didn't listen to your episode on, uh oh, crap, what was the last horror movie we did? Mm-hmm. We did a couple. I think we did. Oh, it's been a while. It's Annabelle. been a while since we've done. Okay, Annabelle. we did.
0: Yeah, we did the Annabelle series. So but before we that, Annabelle... we hadn't done horror movies for a
1: while. But people were like, yeah, I didn't listen to Annabelle because I don't, la- I- I don't watch horror movies. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like oh you was yeah. like that yeah I, there's a lot of people that don't listen to those episodes and it's like fine go ahead wuss bad <laughs> <laughs> hmm. but for per- me personally and angel also we both love horror as a genre we love horror movies um shit i think as soon as i'm off this i'm actually gonna go watch the fog because it's currently on amazon prime <laughs> nice so yeah we well, can't wait for halloween halloween's gonna be fun
0: and uh yeah thanks for joining us we'll talk to you guys next week
1: Uh, later yo